Thanks to Indeed for supporting the Apple Bits XL. Hiring is one of those things that you do not want to mess up. With the stakes this high, there is only one choice, Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash AppleBits. Offer valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply. All right, everybody, let's get to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. It's the Apple Bits XL. Brian Tong here, your host, doing the most for everything good and bad inside the world of Apple. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. If you are new to the show, this is the show that kind of wraps up all the highlights, all the big stories of the week around the Apple ethos, and we touch upon stuff outside of it. If you're a regular, if you're coming back, thank you so much for joining us. You know, the show is all about y'all. We have some great phone calls this week again, so to be a part of it, all you got to do is call in, record a voice memo on your phone, on your laptop, your tablet, whatever device you have, and then send it in to applebitsshow at gmail.com. That's applebits with a Z. We are at episode 162. So thank you all for coming back, sticking with the show. 162. That's a, oh yeah, I guess it is over two years of shows. Almost, actually, we are creeping up to almost three years of this, of me being independent. So that's wild. Also, when I talk about being independent, this show is brought to you by you. Patreon.com slash Brian Tong is how you support this. I'm so grateful for your support. It starts at $2 per month, $5 a month, which is like a cup of coffee, $10, $25, the $100 platinum Apple level. You get early access to content, bonuses at every level, and a completely ad-free version of the show, plus the monthly Zoom call. We just all hang out for an hour, talk tech, talk streaming content, talk shop. It's all there and more. So patreon.com slash Brian Tong is how you can support this. And I'm very, very grateful for all of it. All right, let's get to the show. And we've got some news stories that literally just dropped about an hour before I was going to record this. So we got some, we got some fresh goodies for you. We know that there's always so much stuff around the iPhone 13. I think honestly, from what I've been seeing, there's a little bit of iPhone fatigue right now just because people are still like throwing out articles here and there and people are just like, okay, why don't we wait till we get to it? Because now, I still think even now more than ever, the speculation and rumors and leaks, which is fun, which is what we talk about, is at an all-time high. So I'm going to shelve the iPhone 13 talk for a little later in the show and go with the biggest story that just came out from Bloomberg and Mark Gurman, who is continually dropping really as time plays out when he releases a story about something it's pretty darn accurate um we'll talk about that later on with some of the other stuff he's called out but for today he just wrote an article on bloomberg about apple potentially launching a new rugged apple watch model for let's call it like extreme sports use as soon as this year so apple's been kind of playing with and weighing the possibility of doing an apple watch with a rugged casing that he describes kind of similar to what you get in the classic Casio G-Shock. Now, he describes in his article that this rugged case would be aimed towards athletes, hikers, and others who use the device in more extreme environments. Extreme! This is according to people familiar with the matter. Also, um, Apple did internally discuss introducing a watch variation like this potentially maybe 2021 or 2022. So this has happened earlier, but it's starting to move in the direction that we may 
see it this year. Now, he, he makes it clear that it is not guaranteed that we're going to see it here, but he goes on his article to talk about it and says that the rugged version would be an additional model similar to how Apple offers like a lower cost Apple Watch SE. They've done special editions. They've done co-branded versions with Nike and Hermes. We've got those fancy leather strap watches. That I still, one day, I will get one of those, one day. But I got to put that stuff, I got to put that that cheddar elsewhere. Sometimes internally dubbed as the Explorer Edition, this product would have the same functionality as a standard Apple Watch, but have some extra impact resistance and protection, potentially even kind of a rubber type protection also water resistant to 50 meters. So a rubber casing, 50 meter water resistant, better damage, uh, better ability to take damage in extreme environments. So this is this is a smart move for them. I think, look, this is not going to be a top tier seller or anything like that. But people have always, we know that Apple is really high on Apple fitness and tracking your health. And really this is, one of the, you know, you have stuff from Garmin specifically for hikers and runners. Uh, you've got Fitbit. Those are kind of the two other brands that really stand out for active lifestyle that have been able to carve out a really strong following and customer base. So Apple, which is the best selling smartwatch on planet Earth, no matter what platform you have, even if it's only for the iPhone, this is absolutely smart. I love this idea. So we'll see what happens. There were no other additional details given. I even think of people who just want a bigger, kind of chunkier, more what we call traditional looking watch that they've missed from Apple. Maybe with this design, it can capture some of that. But we know that Apple Watch models typically release sometime in September and the fall. The interesting thing about the Apple Watch, and I've said this before in a few other shows, is that we really don't know too much about it from a standpoint of, there's been a lot of ideas thrown out, but not like we have with the iPhone where people are saying, look, this is this is definitely happening. Happening. We haven't seen that with the Apple Watch. We've heard about potential adding the next health sensor for blood glucose monitoring capabilities in the Apple Watch Series 7 with this non-invasive optical sensor. But you also have people that are a little skeptical about it. We know that Apple's been working on that for about, I think, three or four years now. I mean, Tim Cook was shown... He had at one time an Apple Watch with kind of like an attachment that that was a blood glucose monitoring thing, but it wasn't like built into the watch. It wasn't super sleek. So they've been really pursuing this for a while. And Tim Cook has said, you know, one of their greatest contributions to society would be in health. And he's the one that said that under his regime. So it wouldn't be surprised to see that sensor, but there are still a lot of people that are skeptical. Will it have a micro LED display or not? Will it help with battery life? Will it get a bigger battery um, inside? Will it even maybe go for a larger screen size? Because I do think there is room in the lineup. I'm I'm really the type of person who loves the big, chunky, blang, blang, fat watches. Um, but will they, will they at least make a bigger size? There's so many other things. Maybe there's solid state buttons that don't physically click, but are haptic feedback buttons. These are all things that have been thrown around, but no one has outright put themselves on the record and said these are actually coming. So I think that the Apple Watch Series 7, which would be, for me, I'm still at a 4, didn't upgrade to a 5, didn't upgrade to a 6. 
The Series 7 is an Apple Watch that I'm looking forward to to see if they can kind of take that next leap for me to be compelled to say, absolutely got to get it. But that's in the fall. So I think we still have a long ways to go before we get there. But if you're asking me, how do I feel about an Apple Watch Series 7? You know my answer. Come on. Yeah! I love it. Ooh, that's going to be real good, Apple. We'll just just put it, just to put that model out there. It's not going to change my life. It might change yours. All right, also in the Apple Watch space, another fun article here. Apple is researching a totally redesigned Apple Watch with a wraparound display. Now, this is way, 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 you know, this is concept patent rumor stuff, but the patent was spotted by Mac Rumors earlier in the week, and it was titled Display Module and System Applications. This would be a potential truly radical redesign for the Apple Watch, including a rounded-esque watch face, but that would be connected with a single piece of material, pretty much think of a flexible display that would be like a band and it would kind of have a a blended in, I don't want to say bulge, but a circular watch face that would just kind of taper down into a band. This would be a wraparound flexible display concept, digitally customizable watch bands. So meaning the display would be part of the bands that you could change. This is according to newly granted patent filing. This would require a lot of battery power, but it talks about how this flexible display could ins- could it span the entire watch face and the band of the smartwatch for this new transformational new Apple Watch design. Now, this all comes down to flexible displays, and I don't know if you saw this or recently heard, but LG officially announced that they were not able to find any bidders for their mobile phone business, and so reports are saying that they're pretty much going to be shutting that aspect of their business and reallocating some of those resources and those positions to other spots within the LG company. And for me, you know, I've worked with people that work at LG in their mobile space. So, you know, I'm more worried about them keeping their jobs and them having a future with the company. But one of the concepts that came out of CES 2021 was an LG rollable display phone where you kind of pulled it on the sides and the screen actually extended. And at the time, LG said that phone was going to release this year in 2021. Well, if LG is disbanding that company, we're not going to see a phone with a rollable pullout display to make the screen larger that's flexible. But they've been one of those Companies that have pushed flexible display technology. TCL also showed off a really cool um, flexible display concepts at CES. Multiple ones. One was for a phone. One was for like a a scroll. And when I say a scroll, think of it like an old school map that you that would be in like a tube, and you pull one end, and then the map reveals itself. Well, think about that as a a completely flexible display. TCL showed that off at CES 2021. So. It comes down to if Apple's going to do anything like this, and this is not going to happen this year. I mean, damn, if it happened this year, I'd be freaking surprised, but it's not. But this is just Apple playing around with the concept of using flexible displays, like some of the examples that I just talked about from LG and TCL, and being able to incorporate that into a Apple Watch-like design. The filing explains that this would be an OLED display. It may be sensitive to air and moisture degradation without a protective rigid glass cover. So that could be problematic. It's really a, you can 
just look it up on the internet, but it's kind of interesting. There's a lot of diagrams around it that kind of show the idea of it. But think of it just like a single flowing one piece watch design with some sort of kind of a magnetic clasp at the ends. But it's not like multiple chunks, like the watch face is incorporated into the watch band into one piece. Kind of cool, kind of fun. So that's all your Apple Watch news. I, I thought I'd lead with that because we had that news story that just came out from Bloomberg. Okay, let's transition over to something that y'all are more comfortable with, the iPhone 13 Pro. And yeah, I know there might be a little bit of fatigue, but we got some new little nuggets here from everything Apple Pro and Max Weinbach who worked together to now put out some videos on everything Apple Pro. And we got some new nuggets about what we may see. It was Max Weinbeck who first said that there will absolutely be an always on 120 hertz ProMotion display on the iPhone 13 Pro lineup. Well, now the new thing is that this new iPhone for Pro and Pro Max models coming in 2021 are expected to bring a new color option, which would be a matte black option. They would be using also a new stainless steel coating that reduces smudges and fingerprints. We've heard about stuff like, I quite honestly, the, the current surface, or at least the backside of the phone, fingerprints don't show as much, but then at the same time, I think like 80% of us probably use a case on our phone anyways. So it's like a nice idea, but eh. Max Weinbeck also reports there will be a new rear camera design and then improved noise canceling with beamforming for phone calls. Now, beamforming technology, this is found in a lot of noise canceling headsets where it uses microphones and has this algorithm to kind of optimize where your voice is coming from. So those are all kind of new things that they're talking about in this video. Now, again, we talk about the 120 hertz always on display always on, so it have just probably show up a few little utilities in the time um, on the screen, much like Android has been doing for years, for the record. Weinbeck says that this redesigned graphite color is borderline black, and if you remember, you know, everyone talks about companies pulling things from each other, Apple from Samsung, Samsung from Apple, from Google, from OnePlus, from Xiaomi to everybody. Uh, it was Samsung who really dug deep and did this whole presentation about phantom black and that is one of the coolest looking black phones I have ever seen. So Apple now doing the whole matte black color. The other thing that came out of this is that Apple is potentially experimenting with an orange, almost like a bronze-like color for the new iPhones, but is unlikely to launch according to the report. Now, if they had an orangish bronze-like color, it would be reminiscent of if you if you've seen there was, I can't remember what year was it. It was either 2007 or 2008. Uh, the Nissan 370Z had a like bronze color, like an orange color, like a Texas. Think of it like Texas orange, but metallic. That's, that's what an orange bronze-like color would look like. But they can be concerned about bronze all they want. I think what they really need to worry about is there was a little report recently about how the band, specifically at least the red band on the iPhone 12 and 12 mini, that metal band was fading and changing colors recently for some users. So uh, maybe maybe they should work on that first. But anyways, those are some nuggets about the iPhone 13. The other big story about the iPhone 13 that came out this week is that Greek repair provider, iRepair, that's the name of the company, provided Mac rumors with 
an alleged photo of the front glass panels for the iPhone 13 models. Now, the reason why this is important is because we've heard about Apple reducing the size of the notch. The notch is still going to be there, everybody, okay? So don't think it's going to disappear. It's notch. Sorry. I'll refrain from doing that. I really try to refrain from my notch puns as much as possible, but it doesn't always happen. Now, in this image that was sent, it's the three front glass pieces, and that's what incorporates the notch. You can tell they are clearly smaller, but the biggest design change is that if you have your phone with you or you're listening to this podcast right now and you look at it, you can see that there's a speaker grill in the center of your notch. Well, what they would do with this new design, and this is what has been reported, is that speaker grill would actually be shifted all the way to the top of the notch and more embedded into the bezel. And what, by doing that, by pretty much putting it on top right where the bezel is, they're allowed to reduce the size of the notch by getting rid of that extra space the speaker grill takes and kind of really position it more on top. So it would be like a speaker notch on top of the notch. Now, we don't know if this is 100% confirmed. This is, again, from a repair service center. This doesn't, maybe these are, you know, mock-ups. We don't know the source of where they got the parts. It's the first time we've ever seen this. But the notch on the 5.4-inch, 6.1-inch, and 6.7-inch displays for the iPhone 13, or whatever they call it, at least the iPhone 2021 lineup, will have a smaller notch if these parts are believed to be true. And it's nice to have a smaller notch. That's great. I get it. but is still there. And it's really interesting how we still today get different comments. Some people hate it that I continue to talk about the notch when a notch story comes out, but I'm really more surprised about how many people said, ah, it doesn't bother me. I'm like, it doesn't bother you because you don't watch enough video on your phone or you just, you don't have a choice. Also, Samsung is starting, uh, reports are saying they're starting to produce the LTPO OLED displays for Apple in the first half of 2021. The LTPO stands for Low Temperature Polycrystalline Oxide, and this is their OLED display that is more uh, power efficient. And why that's important is this is going to allow Apple to incorporate the 120 hertz display refresh rate on these new iPhones. So that's why this display, specifically the LTPO OLED display, is important. They're expected to only be on the Pro and Pro Max models. LG is believed to be the company that's producing the standard OLED displays um, that will just be implemented for the normal uh, iPhone 13 and iPhone 13 mini. But at least these higher-end displays for the pros are expected to go into production the first half of 2021, which is what we're still in the first half of 2021. And then um, I'm going to say this really briefly because this is kind of par for the course, but whatever. I'm not going to make this the headline of the show. But the iPhone 13 is expected, according to Wedbush analyst Dan Ives, to launch in late September or possibly October, which is par for the course every year except for COVID pandemic year. In case you were wondering. All right, new report. AirTags, according to Max Weinbeck and everything Apple Pro, Apple's AirTags will be slightly larger than a 50-cent coin and around three times the thickness, would make some, which makes them about the size that we expected, but actually a 50-cent coin, that's a little smaller than I thought. Not a quarter, but a you know, half dollar. If you know what a half dollar is, <laughs> man, I, quite honestly, 
I just realized I, I said that subconsciously, but it makes sense that someone would say, if you know what a half dollar looks like, because I think some younger folks may have never had a half dollar in their hand. I'm just saying, I'm throwing out there. According to the report, it'll measure in at 32 millimeters by 32 millimeters by six millimeters thick. These would still be the circular air tag pieces around the same ballpark diameter-wise as a half-dollar piece. Um, if you put them in comparison to what else is out there, they'd be a tiny bit smaller than the Samsung Galaxy Smart Tag and then a little larger than the current Tile sticker. And also, retail price, according to the report, is expected to be $39. Now, when you Samsung Smart Tags are $29.99. But those are for their smart tags that do not have ultra-wideband. Um, that's for their standard Bluetooth smart tags that they recently released this year. AirTags, so it makes sense. But $39.99 for a smart tag? Whew. I, 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 30 I get. I Maybe I go for $34.99. And I'm not saying I'm not going to buy one or two to try them out. But $39 bucks for a smart tag. So let's say you have four devices, three, four devices, $120, $160 bucks like that. Mm. I think I'd be more, I'd want to put them on my, I don't know what I'd put them on right now. <laughs> Honestly. Also this week, Apple released the latest betas for all flavors of their software. So we're talking about iOS 14.5, iPadOS 14.5, macOS Big Sur. 11.3, you got uh, Apple Watch, oh, Apple Watch, Watch OS 7.4, and then TVOS 14.5. So those were all released, but what we got is some really, really great nuggets inside there because inside the code, we've seen a lot of these amazing developers, people that whose job is to dig into the code to find hints of what's coming in the future, and plenty has been revealed. Well, according to 9to5Mac, there were two new references to two new iMac models and the macOS Big Sur 11.3 Beta 5. They were identified internally in there as iMac 21.1 and iMac 21.2. This is not a reference, per se, to the actual size of the display because there's been um, debates on what size screen size they'll be coming in. The new Macs use the code names J456 and J457. Well. Lo and behold, back in January of this year, Bloomberg's Mark Gurman reported those specific two numbers without any evidence that they were in the code. Those are from his sources. So now these two code names used for the two new iMacs that Mark Gurman talked about in January also have popped up for the first time in the code of macOS Big Sur's 11.3 beta, which is without an official confirmation as close to a confirmation as you can get that we're going to see two new iMacs. Now, we have heard there will be versions in the 21.5 and 27-inch iMac models. That's the current sizing, but there's also been reports that at least one of the new models could measure in at 23 to 24 inches. So this only shows two. We don't know if maybe the 21 and a half inch model goes away, but that's all out there. Either a 21 and a half, 20, let's call it 24-inch, or 27 inch. Some people are even saying maybe there's a 32 inch, but right now the code showed two models internally. We know that they're going to be kind of the biggest drastic design change uh, for any Apple product this year. And it's the biggest change it's had for the iMac line, really a new design change since 10 years ago. 
and everyone is saying that it'll mimic the Pro Display XDR, which is super slick, but it'll incorporate obviously the iMac inside, and then it would be a flat back instead of a curved back. But uh, that's going to be really, really nice. Plus, we're also talking about what M1 caliber chip will they be putting inside this machine because it's going to be more powerful than what we've seen in the Air and the 13-inch Pro and the M1 Mac Mini right now. And so that's that's what's really exciting about the power that these iMacs have. We also know the iMac Pro is canceled, discontinued, no longer available um, because you're not going to put an M1 Mac out there when it outperforms your quote-unquote iMac Pro. You're just not going to do that. Also, in the iOS 14.5 code, a new reference for an unreleased A14X chip. Now, this is a chip rumored for the iPad Pro. The reason why this is important that we're talking about nuggets from the beta releases because once you start seeing them in there, that means they're probably coming out pretty soon. Now, we don't have any projections really at all for iMac new iMacs to come out anytime soon. So we're probably not expecting them in the first half of this year. All indications are that. But in iOS 14.5, it references a GPU chip referred as 13G, which does not correspond to any of the other chips on any currently available iOS devices. And based on kind of the pattern and the naming scheme that iOS does, the suggestion and the thinking is that this 13G reference is the A14X chip. This is according to Mac Rumors contributor Steve Moser, who found the direct mentions of it. Also, direct mentions of the A14X GPU in the beta as well. Now, they did reveal four new code names that are likely associated with the new unreleased iPads that we are expecting to see pretty soon. Maybe Apple does an April event or just an announcement. We'll see. But they're J5.17, J5.18, J5.22, and J5.23. The presumption is that this would be for an 11-inch iPad Pro and a 12.9-inch iPad Pro. The reason why there's four models is that two of them would be the cellular versions. And what we've heard right now, we talked about last week, potential Thunderbolt port for connectivity with more displays, more hard drives, improved camera technology, the mini LED display. Those would kind of be the big things coming to the um, iPad Pro line for this year. We don't know if they're going to do a new pencil or not, but that's where we're at with that. All right, everybody, let's give a big thanks to Indeed for sponsoring this podcast. Hiring is one of those things that you do not want to mess up. You need to hire great people if you want to take your entire business to that next level. With the stakes this high, there is only one choice, and that's Indeed. Indeed.com is the hiring site that lets you find quality candidates with Indeed's instant match. Indeed searches through the millions of resumes in their database to help show you great candidates instantly so you can do the part that you really need to do faster, meeting and hiring great people. Now, unlike some hiring sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility, delivering a quality shortlist faster. With Indeed, there are no long-term contracts. You can pause your account at any time and you only pay for what you need. With Instant Match, you see a list of great candidates right away. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talentness. So do you want your quality shortlist fast? You need Indeed. Right now, get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash AppleBits. This is Indeed's best offer available anywhere. Get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash AppleBits. 
That's indeed.com slash AppleBits. Offer valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, okay, everybody. You know what? Maybe, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I was premature. You know, the rumors of the HomePod's death may have been premature. Okay, actually, no. The HomePod is going away. At least the standard one is. But, you know, Mark Gurman again this week dropped another report to maybe uh, spicing things up or the chances that we'll see the HomePod, standard HomePod in a different way in the future. And I don't mean in the next few months. Maybe it's way down the road. Maybe it is this year. But Mark Gurman mentioned in a report that was talking about the HomePod mini, and we will get to that in a little bit, that Apple has been developing new speakers with screens and cameras. So it wasn't a very detailed it was literally like a quick mention, but that would suggest that Apple's at least playing with this idea of new HomePod models with a display and a camera. And when you talk about a smart home speaker with a display and the camera, clearly we've got Google's Nest Hubs and the Nest Hub Max. You have the Amazon Echo Show. Amazon just released that new Echo Show with kind of the rotating screen that tracks you while you're video conferencing. But Who's doing video conferencing on an Amazon device, honestly? Okay, I'm not going to say no one is, but not that many people are. You also have Facebook's portal. And it it reminded me what, when these came out like two, was it two or three years ago? I do remember right away saying like, dude, why doesn't Apple just make one of these? Because at the time, FaceTime really was kind of like that. Almost you could say FaceTime was a brand name for video conferencing, much like Coca-Cola is Coke, the soda. FaceTime kind of, I don't know if it feels as much now because now we have Zoom and now we have, uh, what else do we have? Like, what else, what other tools they use? Okay, fine, whatever, Zoom. I mean, there's Skype. But Apple's FaceTime was kind of that consumer thing for like, oh, video on your phone or on your laptop, it's FaceTime. But they didn't capitalize on it at that time. Um, I really wanted them to do something like that just because if you're in the ecosystem, I think a lot of more people, a lot of, a lot of more people speak English, Brian, would be willing to to pull the trigger on something like that. But as time has gone on, it's not like the speaker with a touchscreen with video conferencing has been or become an essential part of the home experience yet. I think it's still, the privacy concerns are still a little iffy. Like, do you really want a camera on all the time? Even though we do have our phones on us, but you know, that's a little different. I will say that if there's any company that I would trust privacy wise with that type of stuff, it would be Apple. And I'm not saying that it makes me um, instantly say, oh, let's, let's get a HomePod with a video screen. But Apple's been playing around with this. I mean, they serve as like a digital picture frame, right? You can watch YouTube videos. They always show like how you could do cooking with it. And I thought that was kind of interesting. I've, I've obviously played with them before and The cooking thing is kind of cool, but you kind of have to keep up with it and then say, hey, wait, stop. Let me do this in green. And sometimes it's just easier to stare at your phone, look at the ingredients and just read the instructions instead of have a wait kind of for like a voice prompt to tell you what to do after you collect all the ingredients. So I almost feel like that aspect's a little less efficient, but having like another screen to just show you like heads up, you know, in the kitchen, the weather, listen to the latest news or put on some music and have the latest notifications for your calendar and alerts. It can be useful-ish, but it's never become essential. 
Now, here's the thing, right? You just, Apple, let's, let's say Apple does something like this. Obviously, it would be FaceTime video, but it would still have the same exact limitations as the current HomePods have, right? Siri is still limited. It wouldn't, the biggest advantage of the HomePod was that it sounded so amazing. There's no way it could sound the same because you put a screen on like half of that thing as also it'll kind of cover, if it's angled, it'll kind of deflect the audio that's coming out of the top. It's not gonna sound the same. So that proposition of being, oh, the best sounding, that's gone. You still have the fact that it's not that compatible with enough HomeKit devices or smart home devices because HomeKit's limited. Um, It doesn't have Bluetooth audio at all. So you're really only streaming audio if you have an Apple device. Um, It still doesn't support all music services. So all those limitations still actually come into play, at least if we're talking about if Apple happened to release like something like this today. So you can still tell that Apple has not and it's hurting them. And I think it's, it's going to... I never count them out. I always say that, but it is still going to haunt them. And I think it's still currently haunting them that they do not have a true unified market strategy for the smart home. They never have. And um, you can see how they've fallen behind. That last report that I talked about um, off the top of my head, at least by the end of 2020, is that uh, Amazon owned over 50% market share of smart home devices in the home. In the U.S., Google made up around 30-ish percent, um, just a little over 30 percent. Sonos was uh, like four and a half percent. Apple, 2.8 percent of the market share. That's that shows how far behind they are, still are in. I don't know if you dig out of that. I I don't see them all of a sudden being able to uh, overtake Google in the smart home with with established market leads like this. It's similar to how when they dominate a market, for example, like the smartwatch market, is someone going to be able to really make that much significant market share against Apple anymore? I mean, no, they're not. And I don't see it happening in the smart home, but I will not count them out. I will not. Now, the other indication that this is actually happening is that, again, Steve Moser from Mac Rumors dug through TV OS 14.5 fifth beta and he found new references that had never been there before that had added FaceTime and iMessage frameworks along with a new audio video capture framework and what does that instantly come to mind well that's FaceTime messages and recording video for those purposes and then if you take it kind of to the next step is okay well someone says TVOS, well, TVOS is for the Apple TV, but TVOS is the OS that the HomePod uses. So the the seeds have been planted for them to put something out like this. Um, if the HomePod was came in at 349 and it didn't have a display, and you're talking about a HomePod with a display, are we talking about 400 to $500? We are. Um, I haven't checked the prices, but I'm going to say off the top of my head, an Echo, I think the the Google's regular standard Nest Hub is only like 99 bucks. And I, I don't know how much their Nest, Nest, Nest Hub Max is. Maybe it's like 200, 250, but it can't be more than that. So if, if Apple came into play here, I mean, what, they'd be talking about again, something like a 300, 
50 minimum price that I'm not going to do that. I will for a review unit and send it back, but I'm not going to like invest in that. It, it has to be so good. So we'll see. It's on the, it's on the table though. It's there. The, the pieces are in play for them to actually release it down the road. Also, that article from Mark Gurman and Bloomberg talked about the HomePod Mini and why it, the article was put together before it, it mentioned kind of the little tidbit about Apple working on a HomePod with the display and potential FaceTime and whatnot. The HomePod Mini actually features a dormant secret sensor that can detect and measure temperature and humidity, potentially giving the HomePod Mini new features that could arrive in a future software update, according to his report. Now, German says that the company has internally discussed using the sensor to determine a room's temperature and humidity so that internet-connected thermostats can adjust different parts of a home based on current conditions. According to the people familiar with the situation, the hardware could also let the HomePod Mini automatically trigger other actions, for example, turning on a fan or off, depending on the temperature, right, to regulate that now the thing is in people who have homeowners and even larger living spaces know that the temperature in your home is going to be different in different rooms quite honestly depending on where the sun hits and where it doesn't and so if you're going to do something like this most people only have a single central cooling system they're not like allocated for different parts of the house unless you ball in like that and it it could be a nice feature that maybe they do they add in a software update. But for me, even if they say, hey, the HomePod Mini detects uh, humidity and temperature now and can automatically turn on your AC or not, well, I, th- I think most people that have, that would be like the HomePod Mini replacing uh, what some people, instead of getting a thermostat, a thermostat for their wall, but... At the same time, the HomePod Mini would need to talk to a smart thermostat. And my smart thermostat tells me the temperature and changes that based on the central room, the main living room. So I just don't see this as a huge selling point for someone like me that would say, hey, let's get another HomePod Mini. It doesn't make it, it's nice to have, but it's not, if I never owned a HomePod Mini, it wouldn't cause me to say, oh, I'm going to get one now. It just wouldn't. All right, before we get to our calls, everybody, we've got to celebrate this week marked the 20-year anniversary since Mac OS X first launched. So that was March 24th, 2001. 20 years. So I remember that. And it was kind of amazing because I had at the time an iMac G3 clamshell graphite. It was the only clamshell is the special edition, I guess, version that had FireWire. And the reason why I had that model is because that's what I used to edit video. It was actually my first, let me think about that. Yeah, it was my first computer where I learned how to use iMovie because at the time I had learned how to use Final Cut Pro on like a, professional machines not professional but at like a tv station and stuff but this is this is cool so and let me be clear tv stations were not using final cut pro back then in fact they a lot of them still aren't but 
I there was a machine that had it, and because I'm a nerd like that, I wanted to learn. And damn, how how that's helped me out for the rest of my life. But anyways, macOS 10 was. Apple had been in this what we call classic mode, kind of what you remember macOS, and macOS 10 was such a drastic change. It felt like the future. It had the dock, which we'd never seen. It had that swoopy animation where, like, when you minimized a window, it would go and, like, stream down into the dock. It felt so modern, and it felt so new, and I remember, I remember playing with it because I'm one of those kids, like, oh, I'm going to install this on my machine right away i had to play with it and it was it was awesome i was like okay i'm in this is the future but there's a fun story behind this and i talked about that in this week's video because when we celebrate the 20th anniversary it's it's more than just mac os right at the time the internet was not was there but it wasn't as prevalent as it was and there was no youtube where everyone could talk about it so i remember People even would debate, is it Mac OS 10 or is it Mac OS X? Like you'd hear people in the stores, there's like a local Apple retail, third-party Apple retail store, because again, Apple didn't even have retail stores back then. You'd go into third-party stores that were like the dealers, which was like your connection to them. And it was super new. Like the dock is great. Today, one of my favorite OS 10 features, which came later, quick look, you just hit a space bar on any image, video, audio file, shoot, Word document, you can see a quick preview of it. That thing is invaluable. Even have hot corners like to show your desktop. I mean, everything about Mac OS X, I love it. I've always loved it. But here's what you might not know. So Mac OS X was born from the next step operating system. And that's the core and the heart of Mac OS X. Now, Next Step OS came from the company called Next, and Apple was looking for, they they were struggling to find the next direction for the Mac, right? It kind of felt older and crustier. They weren't doing much things very different under Gil Emilio. So Apple acquired a company. That company was Next in 1997 for $429 million. And this was with the hopes to help usher in the next generation of the Mac. But maybe I forgot to tell you this part. Next was also the company that Steve Jobs founded when he left Apple. So this acquisition specifically brought him back to Apple as an advisor. And then, right, he eventually reclaims his title as CEO and completely transforms Apple as we know it today. Absolutely changed everything. Um, The code... That runs on the Mac and Mac OS X also runs on all of Apple's devices, not the entire code, but pieces of it. So the DNA of Mac OS X is literally everywhere in Apple's ecosystem. And you look back and think like, dang, what if what if they didn't do that? What if they didn't buy next? What if they didn't bring Steve Jobs? I, Apple's probably, oof, they're definitely not the company they are today. I don't want to say they might be dead in the water, but it was, you know, it was looking bleak back then. People forget how low they had gone. So I think to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Mac OS X, when you think about Mac OS X, it is really truly directly linked to the return of Steve Jobs, him coming back, him bringing Apple up. Like 
the phoenix rising from the ashes. And Apple is now obviously one of the world's largest companies ever. So that that's that really starts with the acquisition of Next and Steve Jobs coming back. And then now, let's be honest, Tim Cook has taken it to crazy levels financially. Numbers, dollars, profitability. And whether you like his decisions or not, or in our minds how innovative Apple has been, I don't think any... If if you think that Steve Jobs picked the wrong person, I would argue, you know, he's a different type of guy, but he didn't. I mean, if you look at now, the past two years, Apple is kind of coming back to some of that DNA of what the longtime users have been begging for and asking for. They're now listening. So it's now they're at a point where I feel like they've taken Tim Cook's philosophies from the supply chain and optimizing value and profits and creating models of every single product to find a price point at every person. And then now, they're bringing back some of those philosophies from the Steve Jobs era into the new, but also putting their kind of new spin or take on it um, to the current Apple. Like, dare I say this might be the best Apple we'll see in the next five years? Dare I say, and I'm not even saying from, from a dollar standpoint, for sure, but I'm saying overall dollars, innovation, products, the M1 chip, the Apple Silicon chip, this is the most revolutionary thing that has happened to Apple since the iPhone. It's crazy. Crazy. So lots of exciting things. Mac OS 10, 20 years. You know, it it turned it turned the ship around. It's pretty fun. All right, everybody. It's time to get to our calls. You know how to be a part of the show. Just record a voice memo or audio file on your desktop, your laptop, your phone, your tablet. Man, you could actually do one from your watch. You could. Send them along, applebitsshow at gmail.com, applebits with a Z, your name, where you're from, and then what you want to talk about, your comments, your observations. I love hearing your thoughts as well because I do like it when people disagree with me. I think it makes it more interesting, but also maybe have questions. Do whatever you want. Keep it around a minute, minute 30, and we'll put you on the show. So we're going to start today with Kathy, who wants to talk about the iPad. Hi, this is Kathy from Ohio, a proud Patreon supporter. I wanted your thoughts on the possibility of Apple making an iPad Pro with a 15-inch screen. I've been using both a 13-inch MacBook Pro and an 11-inch iPad Pro for a while now, and I've found that for my work purposes, I can get everything done, just absolutely everything, on the iPad Pro when paired with my smart keyboard folio and an Apple Pencil. My dream setup would be a 15-inch iPad Pro with a Magic Keyboard and Apple Pencil because I just love the versatility of being able to simply and quickly attach or unattach the keyboard between work and leisure times on my iPad. I love using iPads without any cases or covers when not working, and I found that I also prefer using the Apple Pencil instead of a mouse. So the whole package of an iPad, Magic Keyboard, and Pencil would be the ultimate all-in-one for me. But I really want a bigger than 13-inch screen, especially because I use the iPad for both work and entertainment. So do you think there's a chance Apple would, in the near future, make an iPad Pro Max, let's say? And by a chance, I don't mean like dumb and dumber, so you think there's a chance chance. I mean a real chance. I know it would probably cost a lot, the same or more than my MacBook Pro or current iPad setup, but I'm more than willing to pay up if they'd make it. Thanks for your thoughts. And thanks, too, for all your hard work and dedication. It is very much appreciated. 
Oh, Kathy, thank you so much for calling. I love that call. And again, appreciate your support on Patreon. I mean, it's kind of amazing you and everyone that have allowed me to do this. So thank you so much for that. And I hope you're enjoying um, the content that I'm bringing to you and kind of getting early access to the stuff as well. But let's get to your, let's get to what you talked about. A, you know me, I'm a huge iPad Pro fan. And B, I love this idea. Now, I don't think we're going to see it this year, but we're starting to see how the iPad Pro software-wise is evolving. If reports are true that the new one for this year will bring a Thunderbolt port on it, that would allow it to connect to more displays and more hard drives. And so if that's a baby step, like we're starting to see like each year kind of baby steps for the iPad Pro to really not only becoming its own thing, but acting more like a multi-use device. The Magic Keyboard is obviously like the biggest sign that, hey, uh, we're gonna start letting you guys and supporting you guys to really use this more like a a portable laptop-y surface device when you want to, or just a media consumption device. I use it exactly how you do. Uh, I don't, I only use it as like a laptop more when I travel. I love the 12.9 inch screen, but I would love a 15 inch screen even more if they also in the next, I would guess I would say two years, bring more functionality and apps that take advantage of the processing power that this bad boy or bad girl has and allow us to really start using it to its fullest like a laptop. And I'm not saying it doesn't have to have a Mac OS OS on it. It can still have iPad OS. It To me, it really comes down to more of the functionality of the apps because for the most part, and I think from what I can tell, you've figured out how this fits in your life and how you can use it both as uh, email, web browsing, some content creation, whether it's documents, writing, playing around with photos, consuming media. Like you kind of, I can tell you, you kind of use it the way that I use it. And so a bigger screen with more functionality makes sense. It's not going to happen this year, but I absolutely think it's in play. Maybe in two years or three years, some people say, oh, they'd never do it. Well, they look, we're already getting to the point where this is kind of becoming Apple's surface. We're not there yet, yet, but we're getting close. So yeah, I think, I think there is a chance. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah. <laughs> I had to do that. I loved your reference to Dumb and Dumber. I love it. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. Okay, thanks for that, Kathy. Appreciate it. All right, next up we got Aaron. Hey, Brian. Aaron Hope from Durham, North Carolina, calling back. Just calling in response to the HomePod story um, about it being discontinued. Uh, I was one of the people who waited and did not get an Amazon device or a a Google uh, smart speaker. Um, Was just waiting on Apple to do something. Uh, and do something at affordable level. So I did pick up two of the HomePod Minis uh, last holiday season, and they are awesome. Um, they could definitely get better in terms of uh, Siri, uh, but the sound is decent. Probably not the best sounding speaker on the market, but it's decent enough. Um, I did pair them in stereo mode and put them in like a nice big, you know, living room kind of situation. Um, and they really kind of serve not only just as like, you know, a way to dish out music throughout the house, but also just as my home kit hub so they're like the home base um functionality there so i can connect all of my home kit devices and get them running and get all the get all the smart home features going and so that 
was uh, just a bonus and a surprise that I wasn't expecting to be able to kind of use it in that way. But that's that man. I mean, it's it's been amazing. Um, so rest in peace to the Big Brother HomePod. <laughs> um, I am hopeful that Apple will continue to put out awesome speaker devices, smart home speaker devices. I'm really hoping uh, and still praying for a HomePod soundbar uh, with Apple TV integration. That would be amazing. So. I don't know. Maybe we'll see what they come up with. All right, man. Take it easy. Hey, Aaron. Thanks so much for the call. Uh, here, I hear the passion. You know, look, the HomePod, the original HomePod was awesome. I'm not saying the HomePod minis suck either, but they just need to do a little more. That's all. But they're still great. Um, the HomePod soundbar. Look, so here's an interesting thing. When you look at the history of Apple, they have really tried twice to get into the audio space. Now, back in the day when the iPod was like super, super peak popular, I believe it might've been around the first iPod Nano and those they were black and white and kind of like a really thin rectangle. Those were actually really fun. I was working in an Apple store back then. Apple came out with the, uh, I believe it was called the, was it called iPod Hi-Fi or the Apple Hi-Fi? Basically, it was a huge speaker that had a, uh, Apple at the time, the 30 pin connector where you dock your iPod onto it. And then it was this big speaker it was competing with, um, at the time, I remember some of the products that were at the stores. Was there like a Klipsch speaker? Um, there might've been a Bang and Olufsen speaker, but it was like around $500 or so, $400 to $500. Look it up if you are not familiar with the uh, hi-fi speaker from Apple. Well, unfortunately that, that failed. And why did it fail? Well, it was too expensive. It sounded good, but it didn't sound like it blew me away. I remember it sounding nice, but it was big. It was chunky. And they're trying to kind of carve in the spot into home audio. Didn't work. HomePod, much smaller. Amazing sound for the size, for the price. Functionality, or sorry, for the sound, not for the price. Functionality, not so hot. It also failed and you know i thought it was funny because some people say oh steve jobs came out the high the home pod it would have never failed well steve jobs was behind the the hi-fi so i think what it shows me is that it's not that apple has to make a product that first of all for it to be successful their own actual users their hardcore users need to buy it it tends to push it more mainstream, as it gets more sales, as it gets more buzz, the hi-fi speaker system and the HomePod system were not that. And to me, that's really why it failed more than anything. Of course, the price matters. But again, if the fundamental reason is that your core audience didn't purchase it and it didn't kind of gain that hype and love from it, it, it was going to be dead in the water. So we'll we'll see what happens. A, a HomePod soundbar? I mean, there's a chance. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah! <laughs> I I didn't I wanted to be fair and nice and I didn't want to shoot you down either, Aaron. So <laughs> thanks so much for calling. All right, last call from Sir Alex. Hey Brian, it's Alex from San Jose. Uh what's going on with these Apple accessories? They haven't been updated in like five years. The magic mouse still has a stupid charging port on the bottom. And the keyboard, like, I want it to be up to date and have, like, backlighting or, you know, touch ID. 
Anything going on with those accessories? Thanks. All right, Mr. Alex. So I think the reason why we haven't seen them yet is because, um, A, it would be kind of weird for Apple just to launch these accessories, especially now. And I know you've said it's been about five years. So I think when we have the best chance to see a new keyboard, to see a new mouse, um, to see anything related to that is when we get the new iMacs because that's kind of a prime time for them to push out those kind of accessories. Like you, I would love to get a Touch ID on a um, wireless keyboard. The only thing that I don't know if what is holding that back is that if the authentication chip needs to be physically in the computer and with with that Touch ID sensor in order to kind of create a clean verification process that isn't broken by being wireless. I don't know if that's a requirement of that hardware or not, but I love the idea of a Touch ID on a wireless keyboard. Um, I just think that we will see a new mouse. Hopefully it doesn't have a lightning port on the bottom of it. It it probably will. (laughs) But either way, I mean, at the same time, we got plenty of mice that I still charge with USB-C. I still use on my iMac the uh, old school Microsoft IntelliMouse because I liked how it feels. But now that I'm editing, uh, I never did a video on it, but the Logitech MX Master 3 is damn. That's one of my favorite mouse mice of all time now. It just, it's perfect for what I do. And it's got a lot of cool features. So um, as I ramble on, main thing, let's wait till the new iMacs come out this year. And I think that's where we're going to see our new accessories. Still not expected to come in the first half of the year. So maybe the fall time, um, maybe they do something like a mid-year release. We'll see, but just sit tight until then. Okay, Alex. All right, everybody. That is going to do it for the show. Thanks for calling in, everybody. Remember, applebitsshow at gmail.com is the way to do it. Just record the voice memo, put it through. We got to give big thanks to our Platinum Apples. Those are people who support this content and my shows and videos and everything at the $100 level. My goodness, Brandon Ledford, Gil Cabrera, Wesley Frader, Jarrett Lewis, Eric Cohen, and Atari Koenigsegg. Part of being a Platinum Apples, they get their name mentioned at the end of every podcast. But I also got to say thank you so much to all of you. Continue to support me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Patreon.com slash Brian Tong is how you do it. But that is going to do it for this week's show. I actually like that we got some new news. It's it's kind of fun to not talk about iPhone all the time. And we're still in that lull until Apple releases some new products. But we're getting there. We're getting closer. And that's when things are going to pick up things are going to get really spicy and really fun so take everybody thanks so much for listening be safe out there we'll talk to you soon it's the apple bits xl baby peace